0: Mike has fob, the fear of missing McRib, so he cleared his calendar. Yo, dude, backstage passes? Nah. Hey, babe, this weekend? Ugh, can't do it. What up? That sounds great, but count me out. Do what you gotta do. Just don't miss the return of the sandwich, the myth, the legend, the McRib. Come into McDonald's today and get a delicious, saucy McRib sandwich made even better with the one-of-a-kind taste of Dr. Pepper, the one you crave. At participate in McDonald's for a limited time.
1: BLOB
0: TALK RADIO Good morning everyone, this is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio Show. My guest for this morning is the Honorable Colonel Small Bartman. She is the highest ranking woman on the White House staff during the Reagan presidency, first as deputy press secretary and later as senior director of the National Security Council, where she had almost daily meetings with the president. Today, Connor is an award winning author of five international thrillers. Thrust But Verify is her latest novel in her White House national security series. Connor and I will be having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey and her recently released novel, Trust But Verify. Good morning, Cardinal. Welcome to From My Mom's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing this morning? I'm
2: doing great, Johnny. It's delightful to be with you today, especially in this uh, pre-Christmas season where we're gearing up and in a happy mood. It's, it's great to be here.
0: Fantastic. It is a pleasure to have you on the air with me. Trust But Verify is a very interesting and entertaining Read is beautifully written and makes a great holiday gift for mystery and suspense book lovers. So congratulations! <laughs> well,
2: thank you. In fact, if if anyone did happen to, to pick up a copy of Trust but Verify or any of my books, um, one little thing that I just developed um, recently is people mm-hmm. will say, "Hey, I, I want an autographed copy. How, how do I get you to, you know, to, to sign my the book here?" And I say, well, you don't want to be mailing it back and forth. So the answer is, I have some specially designed book plates, a uh, little paper book plates. So if anybody would mm-hmm. like an autograph book plate, just uh, shoot me a note through my website, karnabadman.com, and then I'll mail you a book plate. You stick it in the book, and it's a nice, you know, it's a nice gift for somebody.
0: Fantastic. Let us start by getting to know you a little bit better. Please give us a quick walkthrough but- of your life from childhood to the present moment. And by the way, we have the whole hour.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how long, how, how detailed I want to get, but just very briefly, uh, Johnny, I'm, I'm from a suburb of Chicago and uh, I went to a Big Ten college, University of Michigan, then headed out to San Francisco. Uh, and my first job out there was in the television news business. And I didn't really study journalism in college. I uh, to be honest, I kind of fell into it in the beginning, becoming a reporter because a friend in the business asked if I would uh, come and do an audition. They were looking for women in the newsroom. Now, no, mm-hmm. granted, this was back in the seventies, okay, <laughs> and they didn't have, you know, they were looking for a token. I guess I was the token, and I had uh. done a lot of other work. He said, you know, we're, we're looking at different people. Why don't you come on in? You might, uh, you know, the news director might, might. Like your style or something, so I went in and i and I did a little tape for them, and they said, "Okay, fine, but you're a woman, so the only job we're going to let you have at first is to do the weather okay <laughs>
1: right, right, right,
2: so my first job was as a as a weather girl in San Francisco, but then later i I was able to uh i I did take some additional uh college uh graduate mm-hmm. uh, courses at San francisco state and at Stanford. Uh, And I I moved, you know, on the side, and then I moved Mm. over to become a a television news reporter and eventually uh, an anchor there at the uh, ABC O&O station, KGO, in San Francisco. After that, moved to Washington, D.C., did the late news there. And in 1980, when President Reagan was elected, I was invited onto his team. And then after that, uh, some years in the private sector, but uh, now I'm writing – Writing thrillers inspired by all those experiences.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. That's <a> quick
2: capsule. <laughs>
0: <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. When you were growing up, who were your role models?
2: Oh my dad. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. He was such a wonderful person, I tell you, I uh, miss him terribly. Um my father grew up um actually just as a poor uh boy on a farm. Uh, his dad was a was a Methodist minister. So they didn't have a lot of money or anything, but my dad was very resourceful, uh, had trap lines out there, you know, and would catch things and uh, for the family and so forth. Uh, but he went on to, to college, always uh, told us we had to send 10 to 15% of our salary home uh, to the family uh, for support and whatnot. But he became uh, he got into the banking industry, but he was a very conservative guy, and at dinner every night, uh, it wasn't just a conversation of, um, well, how was your day, dear, or what did you learn in school? <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. They were very intellectual discussions. He would, oh, I mean, I would sit there as a little kid and listen to him telling me about Alexander Hamilton's monetary policy, you know,
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> that sort mm-hmm.
2: of thing. And then, but also, I will say, my mother had an influence because she had a master's in music. And mm-hmm. she taught us music. She taught piano till she was 90. She, um, uh, that, that was more on the creative side. So put them together, and uh, it was a pretty good background.
0: Very, very interesting. I like the concept of teaching kids at a very young age a sense of responsibility in a sense, the monetary side of the equation, plus the freedom of expression through creativity from your mom's side of the equation.
2: Well, that's right. I remember uh, my father always had these sort of life's lessons, if you will. <laughs>
0: uh,
2: he, he would say things like, you know, you children have a choice in life. You can either be part mm-hmm. of the solution or part of the problem, <laughs> you yeah, know, things yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. And then the flip side is my mother would sit there and smile and say, but now remember, dear, if you can't say something nice about somebody, don't say anything at all. Get <laughs> 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 both sides of the equation there.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I gathered y'all were taught to be personally responsible for yourself, basically. Oh, I absolutely.
2: Absolutely. I mean, my father was very, as I said, pretty conservative, banking uh, at yeah. work and all that uh but he was such a proponent of um of values and um well the whole free enterprise system you know i mean he read mm-hmm. everything and he would say things like just remember uh free enterprise means the enterprise of free men and women <laughs> you know i mean right. it, it, he yeah. he would say things like that uh and he would drill into us um how america a lot of history how America was founded, our principles, that the government was a servant of the people, not the other way mm-hmm. around. We didn't serve right. a king or a czar or you know, right. whatever. And, mm-hmm. and uh, also other principles uh, for our country, for example, uh, the rule of law, mm-hmm. uh, how important it was. And, and I, I will say one thing, just as a little observation here about kids and their education, because uh, yeah. I know your show appeals to families and, and all of that. Yeah. And and it's this. Back in the day, we, we all studied civics, you know, a lot. They gave mm-hmm. us courses in government and so forth. Yes. And today, a lot of schools are, are really getting away from that. You can talk to kids, and they don't know beans about the government. <laughs> they don't even know who the vice president is. They don't know about right. the three branches or whatnot. So I have an idea. And, in fact, I even... <laughs> threw it into the story of trust but verified a little little backgrounder during during some dialogue, and it 's this: how about if states not not nas- not a national rule i don't like a lot of top down stuff right. but if states and local school boards could could have a, pass a a, a new um, rule that in order to graduate from high school, our kids would simply have to pass the same test that an immigrant passes to become an American citizen. Mm
1: -hmm. Now, all Mm
2: -hmm. the questions are online. It's not that hard. They just have to study (laughs) learn about the country. You know, when a kid wants to get a a driver's license, oh, man, he wants that. He goes and studies the booklet, right? Right. Well, he could study these questions. There are a hundred of them online. And could you see any objection on the part of our teachers for our kids to pass that same test as an immigrant passes? I, think I don't think that's a pretty so. good idea. I think yeah, that's not pretty good. So. I don't know how to get that going here, but <laughs> I'm throwing the idea out for somebody to pick it up. I just think Well, I agree
0: with that, especially right now, knowing your own government as well and, as is that? Yeah, and knowing elsewhere too because we are living in a global village in some ways. And I remember growing mm-hmm. up in Malaysia. I came to the United States when I was 18 years old. I got to Baton Rouge, Louisiana to go to LSU, but having said that, yes, I remember very well about the study of civic in school.
2: And and And, and I bet I bet you had to pass that test, right? To become an artist? Well, okay. Don't you think our kids should pass (laughs) it?
0: I totally agree. In some ways, Karna, there is a systemic problem with the entire educational system in a way, because I came from a very fairly structured organizational school system. If one thing that we all former colonies of England that we really truly cherish is the educational system, very structured. I graduated from high school at 17. I remember like in junior high studying about the amount of rainfall in Pittsburgh, about the coal mines. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, what the heck? Right. I mean, here I'm in Malaysia. It's like I'm going to be in America, right? right? <laughs> so, mm-hmm. But it creates so much wealth of knowledge. I think it's like if our brain is the hard drive, Mm-hmm. then we have inputted all this information when needed, we can always download it.
2: Well that's right. I remember one time when you think about our mm-hmm. our kids learning, I, I saw a very amusing, well, amusing but disheartening <laughs> show uh some time ago, uh, when there was a um a discussion going on about the Supreme Court, it was actually maybe mm-hmm. a year or so ago. And and this reporter was in Florida at a beach uh, resort during spring break, so all the college kids were there. And he was interviewing college kids. So he was going along the beach and talking to them and saying, well, here, I'd like to have an opinion. There's all this going on about the Supreme Court. Who do you think would be good on the Supreme Court? And one of the kids says, hey, Kardashian, man. You know. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) There you are. Well, in well, any event, true. no, all of these things, these 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 principles and so forth, uh, right. I I do feel strongly about them, but and I weave a lot of these ideas into into the books I'm <laughs> writing. You know, the novels, not to be preachy, but just uh, they are they do involve the White House and government people and military people right. and plots and so forth. So um, so yes, uh, they they all those ideas are are there in the books.
0: It's wonderful. It's beautifully written. Let me answer this. When you look at your journey, as you mentioned, you started out as a weather girl. It's a starting point for a lot of people. I mean, if I recall, David Letterman was a weatherman. If I don't yeah. think. So.
2: <laughs> Good background.
0: <laughs> That's right. That's right. So having said that, how did you end up being part of President Reagan's team?
2: Yes, everybody says, "How'd you get that job?" Uh, well, I uh I did not work on any of the campaigns as most mm-hmm. people who get appointed uh you know, have that kind of experience. No, what happened was, as I mentioned earlier, um I was a TV news anchor in San Francisco in the 70s, mm-hmm. and it turns out that is when Reagan was governor of California.
1: Mm-hmm. So I had an
2: operant interview him on several occasions, and I got to know his team, you know, his uh, all the the people there, in,
1: right, uh, right,
2: you know, and at the state level, and we kept in touch um, because then when I moved to uh, Washington D.C. to work there uh, in the late seventies and leading up to the nineteen eighty campaign, whenever Reagan's staff would be in town, which was frequently you know, to mm-hmm. set up things to to run for president. Uh, I would often have them as guests on my shows, and so we knew each other. And then, as it turns out, when Reagan was elected and they were gearing up for uh, to staff, which is a huge mm-hmm. operation, as you can imagine, you're staffing thousands yeah, of people, yeah. you know, in right. a month or two. Uh, <laughs> I received a phone call from the incoming. Chief of Staff uh, James Baker, wonderful man, mm-hmm. and I did not. Now he's one I did not know because he had not worked for Reagan before. Um, mm-hmm. But evidently, some of the Reagan team, the former Sacramento team, had recommended me, and I guess I'm looking back. Uh, they must have thought, well, you know, she must be fairly conservative, which is odd for a <laughs> reporter in San Francisco, because right. every time we had Reagan on the air, at least. It sounded kind of fair to us. <laughs> and it is true, because I used to get into arguments with our news director for things like, uh, I would say, look, if you're going to put on 20 seconds of Teddy Kennedy, I want 20 seconds of Howard Baker in a rebuttal. And we'd
1: fight it out.
2: You know, I mean, I just wanted to be even-handed, which didn't always happen in the news in those days. It re- well, even today, I don't right. think it's very even-handed. But So that's how right. it happened. So Jim Baker called me in for an interview. And there was a big discussion about at the time whether uh, Reagan wanted to keep Jim Brady as his press secretary, or mm-hmm. because at the t- because before that Jim had worked for John Conley, another candidate you know, during that campaign, and then when Conley uh, was out, then he came over to the Reagan team. So there was a discussion, oh, gee, would Jim be conservative enough or whatnot? Well, finally, the president said, look, we love Jim. He's such a great guy, He's so friendly. People called him Bear, you know, for Teddy Bear. <laughs> and they said, what I go in is his deputy. And then a little bit later, they appointed Larry Speaks as the other deputy. So, so we all went in, and it was a terrific learning experience, though, because I had not mm-hmm. worked in the White House. Others had, you know, had worked in mm-hmm. previous administrations, had more experience. I mean, I didn't. I didn't even know where the file cabinets were. You know, I knew (laughs) nothing. So I had to gear up, and as a matter of fact, I remember one of the press staff making the comment that there was so much going on and so much to learn that it was kind of like standing next to the railroad tracks and watching a freight train go by and trying to memorize the numbers on the boxcars. (laughs)
0: Wow. There's a visual
2: for you. (laughs) Sure. So there was a lot going on, and... And I'll tell you, um if you have a minute um one of the things people say, "Well, gee, what do you you know it, it was a long time ago, of course, it was the eighties, mm-hmm. but you know what do you remember about those? I remember so many things, and there is a story that I often tell on book tours um mm-hmm. and and that is that um it, it was a memory that's absolutely seared in my mm-hmm. mind about every minute of the day. Because it happened about nine weeks after the inauguration of President Reagan. The date was March 30th. Johnny, I was scheduled to be in the car with Press Secretary Jim Brady to go to an Mm -hmm. event where the President was going to give a speech on March 30th. And I remember standing in front of his desk there in the West Wing press office and uh, talking about the schedule and how I was supposed to go to this event with him uh, and saying, oh, you know, it's I have so much work to do here. I have to I have to do some research. I've got to return press calls. I've got to get ready for your next briefing. And Jim looked at me and said, oh, hey, listen, no big deal. There's another speech tomorrow. You go there. I've got to go to this one. It's a little speech mm-hmm. at the Hilton Hotel for a union group. Uh, don't worry about it. I'll uh, go to this one. I'll handle it, and I'll see you about 2.30. Well as everybody perhaps remembers, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. was the time when they walked out of that Hilton. Jim was there with the president, Jerry Power, and the others. I probably would have been standing right next to him when John Hinckley fired six shots in three seconds using two-hands combat style. and yep. a bull- He called it a devastation bullet because he thought it would explode inside the victim. It didn't explode because he was using a smaller gun at twenty two. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was the moment. If you can imagine and of course we we think back at yeah. that time uh and how actually they raced Reagan over to the hospital and the stories are that when he when they pulled up to the curb always cognizant of his position as president Reagan gets out of the car and trying to be presidential he always mm-hmm. was He's tries to button his coat suit coat to I mean, been shot and walk in. Well when he got to the door that's when he collapsed. And you know, Johnny, they did the uh, the initial exam, uh, they oh. were ripping his suit off and all this and that and cutting it off and he kept saying, Hey, you're ruining my new blue suit, you know. Um anyway, they um <laughs> at first they weren't sure whether he had been shot because it was kind of a strange wound and whatnot. But uh later, of course, after the surgery what we learned and didn't announce to the nation at that time, Johnny, do you know that bullet was lodged one inch from his heart? Amazing situation. Now, you know, meanwhile, I was back. uh, I spent the day in the Situation Room with members of the cabinet and recording Mm -hmm. everything that was going on. So that was quite a day. That was the biggest memory. And you can imagine
1: uh,
2: events like that that you could use, maybe not, as the specific event, but the tension, the characters, sure. the, uh, the settings, and weave those into some pretty good thrillers and mysteries, right? <laughs> and that's what I do with, with my uh, books, you know, my yeah, novels. So, yeah, yeah I yeah. mean, weave those things in. Incredible.
0: That's fantastic. I think what's amazing about it is that in some ways, you were on the other side of the equation for a long time. Seeking oh, information, yeah. right? Yeah. Yes, and now you're right. on the inside of the situation. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm sure that's a big shocker in a way as well.
2: Well, it's true because I remember um, w- when you're inside the White House, even though, yeah. as, we, as we know, it was a long time ago, but still, yeah. um, you, you see what really does happen. You mm-hmm. sit in on a cabinet meeting. You see the decisions that are made uh, and so forth. And then later... You read in the press or you watch the TV <laughs> newscast and you see how it's portrayed. And right. so often it's screwed up. Now, I'm not, you know, <laughs> and and it's not the press secretary's fault. There are leaks here and there. There's speculation. Yeah. They talk to people who weren't even in the room right. and they get right. the stories totally wrong. And in, and in many ways, I'm sympathetic with yeah. the current administration when they talk about fake news
1: Yeah. because yeah. I know what
2: yeah. it's like to be inside and then look at. At the outside reflection, which is sometimes kind of like being in the funhouse and looking at the weird mirrors.
0: Right, right. So true. Yeah, it's really <laughs> Eventually, you became the senior director and spokesperson for the National Security Council. So that was fantastic in itself. This is the million-dollar question right here, and you don't have to answer it. See, for me, once I get into that position, you know what I would like to know is, are uh, they really aliens at Area 51?
2: <laughs> well, uh, we did not investigate that situation. There. I'm just kidding. Okay, a lot of talk about that, but uh, I don't, uh, I don't believe so. I, I have heard that there's a file somewhere in the Pentagon that uh, really that sort of, thing. but no, we didn't, we didn't really talk about that. Uh, there were a lot of weird things going on, but that, that wasn't one of them.
0: Uh, really, we were I'm focused just, I, on, I on other
2: think. things. That's okay.
0: That's and I was okay. like, okay, I'm in the White House now. i got to know this. <laughs>
2: well, yeah, I will say, uh, Johnny, on, um, sometimes on some other interviews, mm-hmm. you know, I've done some other interviews of when, when I have a new book coming out, and uh, oftentimes I will get an email through my mm-hmm. website, you know, and yeah. and listeners – would would give me ideas for the next book. You say, "Oh, here's uh-huh. an idea for for another thriller, for another mystery." And I've uh-huh. had them. I mean, I've had all kinds of crazy things. Guys will will send me a note and say, "Now, here's what you ought to write. You ought to write that <laughs> that, that that we are beaming operas at Mars. Or did you mm-hmm. know that there's a special cemetery in Afghanistan and uh-huh. it has wonderful sci-fi possibilities? You know, I mean, all kinds of crazy. You know, yeah, yeah. But I didn't really deal with that. I had to deal with the real world.
0: I understand. really did. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, and TuneIn Radio. I'm Johnny Tan, your host, and my guest for this morning is the Honorable Karna small Botman. She is the highest-ranking woman on the White House staff during the Reagan presidency first as Deputy Press Secretary and later as Senior Director of the National Security Council. Today, Karna is an award-winning author of five international thrillers. Trust But Verify is her latest novel in her White House National Security series. Karna and I are having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey and her recently released novel, Trust But Verify. Karna, among all the... World leaders, you have the opportunity to meet. Who made the best impression on you?
2: Who made the best impression? Well, let me think about that. Well, uh, okay, For Margaret Thatcher. Absolutely, mm-hmm. Margaret mm-hmm. Thatcher. She was fantastic. I remember, I was in, uh, happened to be lucky to be on the team that went to uh, arms control talks with the Soviets mm-hmm. way back, and then after. Uh, an important session like that, then the teams would split up and go to different uh, cities to brief the allies, say, okay, here's what Mm -hmm. happened, here's what we agreed to, here's what we argued about, and so forth. And I was with the National Security Advisor, so we went to London, Rome, and Paris. Others went to Germany, Japan, other places. So when we were in in London and sitting there in number 10, uh, I was just listening, of course, and the NSC advisor was doing the briefing and Margaret Thatcher was right across the table, surrounded by her ministers and, you know, listening to all this. And the woman was incredibly brilliant. Oh, my God. When we mm-hmm. talked, uh, I remember when the discussion was about uh, cutting back on uh, certain levels of, of missiles, for example. Mm-hmm. And she very, you know, with no notes in front of her or anything, very quickly said, well, if we're going to do that, then that means we have to beef up our conventional forces. Now, let me see. on the number of submarines, the number of this, the number of that, she was ticking off the numbers and turning to her cabinet ministers as if to say, you do this, you do that, you do that. She had it all in her head. The woman was magnificent. Really, truly. I I was so impressed because in other briefings in France and Italy, you had – uh, maybe the head guy would be turning to someone, saying, "Well, now what was that again? Or or, or what's our number on that? Mm-hmm. You know, you know that mm-hmm. sort of thing." No man, she was in charge. <laughs> she was really, she was she was really good. And of course, she had a terrific relationship with President Reagan, as, right. as I'm sure you've heard. You know, they yes. they got along uh, pretty pretty well. Pretty well.
0: Yeah, it was during that time, if I recall, they had the crisis in Argentina. If you recall, the Falklands. And oh, yeah. the thing I remembered was the Time magazine came out with the aircraft carrier from England, and the big headline was, The Empire Strikes Back. I thought that was really cool, <laughs> because that was during Star Wars, too. <laughs>
2: well, I know, I know. that was a, I, I remember that dust-up and, and, and all of that. But uh, gen- generally speaking, she, she and Reagan would talk on the phone quite a bit, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, back and forth and discuss things. And they didn't always agree, of course, on everything. right. But, uh, but they, they, they really they, they respected each other, let me put it that way. really. Right,
0: good. right. Mm-hmm. I thought in the 80s, so to speak, that is a pivotal moment, I guess, in some ways for the gender gap as well, if I'm not mistaken, here in the United States and certainly to the world. I mean, when you look at Margaret Thatcher, if we want to say, quote unquote, America being the most powerful nation, then certainly the British was not far behind, if not number two.
2: Well, we did have the rise of many many women leaders. Of course, Margaret Thatcher. Mm-hmm. You had Indira Gandhi. You had Golda Meir. Mm-hmm. You had several.
1: Yes. yes. Uh,
2: and and going back even to the Reagan White House, uh, there was always a demand here and there to hire more of different kind of people. And yeah. Reagan, yeah. Uh, interestingly, uh, had a record number of women uh, appointed, and I don't think he got enough credit for that. We had tons mm-hmm. of women in all the agencies. Uh, we really did. He had several in his in his uh cabinet that were wonderful accomplished uh women and it was a joy to work with them and By the way, I want to correct just one tiny little thing you were nice. I don't want to enhance the resume, but you yeah. said highest ranking woman um that was yeah. only when I was at the National security Council because the initial mm-hmm. uh couple of years we had several other women in uh, in the White House Elizabeth Dole and a few others that were mm-hmm. uh, higher That's right. yes but then uh you know, I kind of worked up. (laughs) But still, it wasn't that big of a deal. I mean, it got me a seat in the White House mess for lunch, you know, and it's okay.
0: It's okay. But it looks,
2: you know, it looks okay on a, on the flap of a book to maybe, maybe say that, you know, but I was honored to be there. So it was great, whatever the title.
0: What was the most memorable experience you treasured from your years at the White House?
2: Memorable, of course, was as I mentioned the assassination mm-hmm. attempt, which was just yeah. oh my gosh, you know, uh, terrible, yeah. terrible. But uh, there, there were so many; it's very hard to list them because I did have a chance to see the president just about every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, in various meetings, and watching him in action, he was such. Uh, I mean, he would get upset about certain policies and this and that. Of course but generally speaking he was a very charming man to everyone uh, not just important people you
1: know mm-hmm.
2: some people are only good to important people but to the staff to everyone i mean he would do things like take time in his day and he would uh, always have his little Contingent of Secret Service people with him, whatever, and he would yeah. walk across West Exec, which is a, a sort of a driveway there between the West Wing and the old Executive Office Building, which is a huge building right next door where a lot of the staff were. He would go over there, take the elevator down to a basement area, and go into the the place where all the White House operators were working, and he'd go in there and give them special thanks for tracking down people and doing nice things. You know, I mean, he he, he was like that. He was a wonderful yeah. guy, and
0: yeah.
2: um and I remember his humor, you know, all the time. Uh, different times, um, uh, I'll just give an example. Um, when he recovered from the assassination attempt, mm-hmm. uh, there was a lot of discussion uh, about where should he make his first appearance. You know, should he maybe do a photo op? Uh, walk hand in hand with Nancy in the Rose Garden or maybe give a Mm -hmm. talk from the Oval Office or whatever. Well, it was suggested that perhaps it'd be a good idea for him to give a speech to a joint session of the Congress. I mean, and it hadn't been done all that much at that time. So so that invitation was received. He goes up to the Hill and he got, oh my gosh, probably having survived all that, about a six-minute standing ovation. I mean, it was so heartfelt. His Mm -hmm. approval rating was... 90 percent or something mm-hmm. um but i i i'm remembering this because when he was uh in the hospital he got a ton of mail i mean literally you know from everywhere in the world yeah. and he kept yeah. a lot of letters and he at the start of his address to a joint session of congress where he was going to outline his policies and his programs for his whole administration he starts with a little bit of humor he pulls a letter out of his jacket he had received in the hospital from a little second-grade boy, and he reads it. And it says, Dear Mr. President, I hope you get well quick, or you might have to make a speech in your pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> I just mean these little moments, you know, the guy, yeah. was, the guy was just wonderful, and his humor was, was just incredible. I, also, I, I remember in press conferences, he could yeah. disarm the best of them. I remember, because right. uh, the press wasn't on his side. At least 80%
1: mm-hmm.
2: of them never voted for him. We knew that. Uh, mm-hmm. Sam Donaldson would, of ABC would stand up and, <laughs> and question him. and he, I, I remember he saying things like, now, because this, uh, boy, we all remember this one. So Sam stands up in a press conference and he says, Mr. President, regarding the continuing recession which we had in the very beginning, <laughs> right. uh, you have blamed Uh, policies of the past and you've blamed the Congress and mistakes, don't you accept some of the blame, Mr. President? (laughs) And Reagan quickly shoots back, yes, for many years I was a Democrat. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) please. Breaks into laughter. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
2: It happened a lot. He He was great.
0: He just has a natural charm that really, in all honesty, one can be conservative and yet has the unifying energy, spirit that radiates mm-hmm. from oneself though.
2: Well that's right. And and he had to be a unifier because most mm-hmm. of the time we had a democratic Congress. Right. You know, right, we we had right. Democrats in charge and he would work with yeah. you know, Tip O'Neill would come over after right. six o'clock and two old Irishmen yeah. sharing a drink and even though they didn't agree on much of anything. They right. worked together. I mean you had give and take and Reagan would say in order to get something passed like the tax to reduce your taxes. When he came in, right. the highest tax rate was seventy percent. When he left, it was twenty-eight percent. And he right. got those reductions from a Democratic Congress. And but he would give. You know, he would say, that's "Okay, right. uh, I'll give you that bridge you want to build, or I'll give you this or that." <laughs> but I want you to vote for my tax. And they worked yeah. it out. You know, yeah. that's what he did. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So true. Well. Why did you decide to be an author of mystery thrillers?
2: <laughs> well, I had always wanted to write novels, but had been so mm-hmm. busy uh earlier um writing of course writing scripts for t v news shows Bye. uh writing uh talking points for presidential news conferences where there was always a premium on brevity. you know, give us an outline what's our East mm-hmm. policy in one page of talking points you know that kind of thing. <laughs> and then uh but finally, when I was out of the White House and um had a bit more time. I really thought a lot about it. I had always wanted to write novels, so I, you know, it's a business, Johnny. It's a business. So Ryan. I really did a study. I read tons of books. I went to I went to a lot of writers' conferences, uh, which is where a lot of aspiring writers should go. Mm-hmm. Uh, if your listeners are, would like to write something, you know, go to the conferences. This is where you learn. They have workshops on everything from the format of whatever kind of a mystery, thriller, memoir, children's book, whatever. Uh, you learn, and writers help writers, of course. And you also, that's where you meet agents and editors. And a lot of them are willing to sit down for what we call a pitch session. So let's say you've written a novel and you don't know what to do. You, you don't have an agent. You don't know how to get published. You'd like to. So you go to a writer's conference and you sit down and you have a few minutes. You have an appointment with an agent and you say, hey, my name is Karna Bodman. I've written this book and I need your help. And here's what it's about and here's why it would be a bestseller or at least why it would be should be
1: published. Mm-hmm.
2: And it's mm-hmm. similar to these other uh, successful books, and then hopefully the agent would say, Well, that's intriguing. Why don't you send me the first three chapters and I'll take a look and and that that of course that's what happened to me. I happened to meet actually an editor at a at a writer's conference that I went to when I had the first outline and and the first actually draft of my first book, Checkmate, which was inspired by uh, Reagan's strategic defense initiative remember star wars missile defense that yes. whole mm-hmm. argument well that was i was so impressed with the way all that was rolled out because Reagan just glommed down to that idea of missile defense and i saw it played out because everyone thought it well everyone else in town thought it was a crazy idea what did Reagan Superman, bullet hitting a bullet, I and mean, it's never going to work, you know, <laughs> try to stop a missile, you know, nuts. But uh, I, I saw how that worked out because, of course, today we have successful missile defense systems all over the world. Right. We um, need more. But uh, but at the time, as I said, they thought Reagan was nuts, and I saw it kind of broken down into three groups. The uh, the first group over at the State Department said, oh, it's not going to work, you know, it's crazy – president's kind of nuts but what the heck we'll use it as a bargaining chip and we'll bargain it away at arms control talks for the soviets and get them to reduce some of their ss-18s and ss-20 missiles they had more than we did and that i saw you know some of those ideas at these arms control talks that i happened to have attended well of course we weren't going to do that because we didn't want to give it away then the guys at the pentagon looked at it and said oh man I don't know how the heck that's ever going to work, but it's a presidential (laughs) directive. We better put some contracts out to defense contractors and see if somebody can come up with an idea to stop a missile. But Reagan, (laughs) interestingly, took a third view because I heard him talk about it a lot. Mm -hmm. He took what he termed the moral approach because, Johnny, at the time our policy kind of still is was called mm-hmm. Mutual Assured Destruction, and we right. called it the Mad That's Doctrine, right. which mm-hmm. said, in effect, that if the Soviets or anybody that doesn't like us, even today, uh, lobbed a missile our way, even by mistake, it right. would kill millions of innocent Americans, right? And mm-hmm. all we could do in retaliation is lob one back, if it had a return address, and mm-hmm. kill millions of their innocent people. And the president said, no, 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 that's not the way I want to conduct our our foreign policy. He said in his famous speech, wouldn't it be better to task our best scientific minds, our best technology people, to develop a system to stop a missile before anybody dies? And his great line was, wouldn't it be better to save lives than avenge lives? So I, I was inspired by this whole Scenario. It was there watching Mm -hmm. it play out. So that's why I wrote my first book, Checkmate. It it is about I created a a character, a woman. uh, Mm -hmm. I always make them smarter than I am, you know, in my books have to be, (laughs) uh, who works for a defense contractor and she invents a breakthrough technology for defense against cruise missiles. Then you have bad guys trying to steal it and so forth. And that um, that idea of missile defense also reappears in my fourth book, Castle Bravo, which is sort of a prequel to the Mm -hmm. new one. Trust, But Verify, continuing characters. So, uh, yeah, experiences there uh, were the inspiration for my for my novels.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. Please share with us the synopsis for Trust, But Verify.
2: Well, yeah, the new book, which just came out recently, I hope people maybe want to pick up a Christmas gift or something if they'd like to. <laughs> uh, this one features a member of the White House staff. In this case, it's a woman working in the White House. Uh, and an FBI special agent, and what they have to do is race to unravel an explosive plot that threatens the lives of international financial leaders and would sink stock markets worldwide. So it's sort of a financial thriller, and in this case, the bad guys, have different bad guys in each book, the bad guys in this one are Russian oligarchs. So we are involved here with Russians and of course look what's happening today. It's mm-hmm. a lot of it is based on real real things because there are a lot of oligarchs, uh folks close to Putin that have been sanctioned, right? You know for right, bad behavior right. all over the place. So I played up that I've got a couple of oligarchs in the story, a couple of brothers, and they are bad guys. They're illicit arms <laughs> dealers and so forth, and they have lost a lot of money uh because of sanctions. Uh, mm-hmm. Which is all true. So they've got to figure out how to replenish their coffers, right? They 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 want to you know they got to make make more money. Sure. So they come up with a plot, bring over a couple of Russian mafia types from Moscow to help them with this. And by the way, in real life, you know the mafia. I've done all this research. The Russian mafia is involved in about four out of ten businesses in Russia. Oh, there's so much corruption, you can't believe it. <laughs> so in the story, they bring them over, and they decide to put a hit on a particular conference, which had, does happen every year. It's a real conference
1: mm-hmm. of international
2: financial leaders. Now, if something happened, and everybody's there, our Federal Reserve Board and the the, the Treasury secretaries and Goldman Sachs and and J.P. Moore, if they're all there, and something happens, what would ha- what would occur in the stock market? It Would tank, right? Yeah. So the bad guys short the exchanges, thinking they're going to make a killing. So the question is, how in the world does my White House heroine and this FBI agent <laughs> ever find out about a plot? How could they stop it? And that's the format of a thriller, and that's trust but verify.
0: Fantastic.
2: The story, and in fact, <laughs> I, I I stole it the title, of course, that is a a term yes. that, that Reagan had used in terms of dealing with the Soviets. But in the scene there's a scene where um where the bad guys are together with the Mafia guys. They're going through their plans and plots and the Mafia guys say, Okay, we got it all figured out. We've we've been to this place and we've we got the plans in place. This is gonna work. We're gonna we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna work this out. Don't worry about it. And mm-hmm. the brother says, uh you know, the, the oligarch says, Well, wait a minute, we're <laughs> gonna be there too. We'll we'll be there in time, ta- you know, in town to, to watch all this and the first guy say, Well, wait a minute, comrade, how many times we worked together? I mean, don't you trust us? And he says, Well, come on, let's let's repeat a rather historic phrase, doveri no proverai, trust but verify. So that's the title.
0: <laughs> well, trust but verify is a Russian proverb. So
2: Well it's perfectly <laughs> I mean, the Russians – listen, the Russians are a real threat – I mean, this guy Putin, i got to tell you, did you – I don't know whether you happened to see – there was an article on the front page of the Wall Street Journal last week um, about how there's a – there's some group in Russia that now says that what they really need is to go back in history and reconstitute the idea of having a czar – uh, it wouldn't have to be uh, by bloodline, but they, they really want a strong leader. They want a czar, so that means they could name Putin as the new czar, and then he could serve right. for life or how, That's however right. long he wants. Oh, please. And, of course, Putin, <laughs> when asked about it, just – sort of tosses it off as if it's an interesting idea as if he didn't know right <laughs> Give me yeah you originated
0: it from somewhere that's correct there you go <laughs> well i mean putin putin is so
2: calculating i've heard so many stories we all have oh i'll i'll tell you one this might amuse you and and your and your mm-hmm. listeners um putin i i have read books about this um studies uh, all opponents and world leaders from a psychological standpoint. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, we all you know do research, but he really sure. takes it to an extreme. And the story is, and I know this is true, I've, I've heard this from a couple of people, the story is that when he first had Angela Merkel from Germany in a meeting where she came to, yeah. to Moscow, he had learned research that many, many years ago Angela Merkel was attacked by a big dog so she Mm -hmm. has a huge fear of big dogs right so she comes into the meeting they sit down in the chairs for their meeting and Putin nods to his handlers over there at the door who lead in his great big dog to sit at her feet Mm -hmm. now can you imagine now I don't know what she said at that point but I kind of hope that she turned over to her security guy and said, if that dog comes near me, shoot him. <laughs> so here, here, can you imagine? I mean, my lord. And then, of course, Putin is responsible, as we all know, sure. for all kinds of poisonings and things like that. As a matter of fact, I also read that he's so worried about his own assassination that he eats a lot of meals out of plastic containers first checked by his food tasters. Wouldn't want that now. You know, really. miserable so, life. No, the guy is incredible. <laughs> uh, seriously. And, you know, right. we talked earlier about journalists, and, and, and I was a reporter, that yeah. I believe that more journalists have disappeared or been killed or supposedly right. committed suicide or whatnot in Russia than in any other country. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm sure. So, uh, that's, Russia's, that's,
2: that's Russia's a threat, and I write about them, <laughs> and that's the story of trust but verify. <laughs> there you are. <laughs>
0: Wonderful. You're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, and TuneIn Radio. My guest is the Honorable Karna small Botman. She is the highest-ranking woman on the White House staff during the Reagan presidency, first as the Deputy Press Secretary and later as Senior Director of the National Security Council. Today, Karna is an award-winning author of five international thrillers, Trust But Verify is her latest novel in her White House National Security Series. Karna and I are having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey and her recently released novel, Trust But Verify. I'm your host, Johnny Tan. Karna, how much of you is in the book? Oh, my. Well,
2: <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not the heroine in the book because as i i mentioned earlier i i try to create female characters that are much smarter than i am i do research and, <laughs> and try to make them smarter
0: uh
2: of course but a lot of my philosophy of course is in the book uh mm-hmm. you you can't avoid that i mean i i yeah. feel very strongly about um about our our free enterprise system i feel very strongly about supporting the military i feel strongly about our re- remaining very strong. I remember Reagan's lines, "peace through strength," and all of that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm very concerned about various threats to our national security. They're all out there. We read about them every day in the paper. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I, I have taken different threats that I see totally different with different villains in each story. Different countries featured, and they're not. They're not all Al Qaeda. You know, I don't just write about right. that. Everybody right. else does, but I write different things. And, in fact, um, but I try to make the stories um, engaging enough. People like to read a good thriller or mystery. But I remember Mm -hmm. a quote by George Bernard Shaw who said, the best way to get your point across is to entertain, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm Mm -hmm. trying to do is get the point across, but be entertaining enough that people want to pick up a good novel. Maybe they'll want to pick up. Trust that verify or the four previous books they've all been revised and reissued just in the last couple of months, and they're all on my website, which is karna my first name is a little bit strange k a r n a bodman like your bod b o d m a n KarnaBodman.com. they're all there they're all up on amazon or if you want to pick one up for chance or shoot me an mm-hmm. email through the website and I'll send you an autographed book plate stick inside and maybe give it as a gift for christmas that that could work too,
0: wonderful. Does daydreaming contribute to writing a terrific novel?
2: Oh, sure. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I, I'm i sure all writers are different. We get <laughs> different ideas, but I get ideas in the craziest places. I, I like to swim every day. I swim laps mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. Well, we, we spend the winter in Florida, so I'm lucky enough to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, And I get ideas, and I keep telling myself, I should have a pad and pencil next to the pool, but get kind of wet you know but i get ideas i get ideas yeah. once in a while i wake up in the middle of the night and i you know go in the other jot something down on a pad but i i get lots of ideas just talking to people just to, you know in social situations and if they say something clever i always have a little notepad <laughs> in my purse, I, I'll jot something down, and if I ever use it, I try to remember yeah. it on the acknowledgments page, you know. But uh, but I also get ideas, as I've, I've mentioned before, you know, inspired by my days in the White House. But oh my gosh, pick up the morning newspaper, or or the uh, you know look online, and you see mm-hmm. a veritable petri dish of plot points, things happening mm-hmm. all over the world. I I do read the Wall Street Journal cover to cover every day, and there's so many ideas there that you can turn into Mm -hmm. mysteries and thrillers and and i i I clipped one yesterday a big story that i want to include because i'm already working on the next book
0: fantastic oh yeah fantastic that's wonderful what are your thoughts about the female empowerment evolution over the decades
2: well um i I think I think, it's, I think it's, it's it's great that that women are um are doing so well from uh, an educational standpoint. What I mean is you mm-hmm. know going mm-hmm. to college uh getting getting a good education, and then also um having a choice. It's wonderful to have choices. You can have a choice right. to pursue a career or and then perhaps take a break when you want to have a family. And then mm-hmm. if you want to, uh, there are even opportunities now to have a part-time job, perhaps you can, and also you can work from home and keep right. an eye on the children, which I think is a wonderful option for women. And then also opportunities to get back into the the market, uh, the job market, perhaps once your children are off in school and make a contribution and earn money for the family. So, uh, yes, there are opportunities. When when I was in, in college growing up, there they weren't there. You either were going to be a stewardess or a nurse or a teacher, basically. And, uh, But I will say that I benefited from the emerging ideas about including women because they were looking for tokens. <laughs> and so I was a token here and there in the newsroom initially. Now, yeah. I would say you go to any newsroom and you, maybe 60% of the people in there are, are women, writers, editors, mm. reporters, and so forth. So, no they're moving along and and I think that's fine because we have uh, I mean why in the world wouldn't you want to utilize and enhance the, uh, the brilliance of half of your population and in fact that leads yeah. me to comment that unfortunately in so many parts of the world, especially uh, with a different religion you know maybe the Muslim religion doesn't
1: mm-hmm.
2: doesn't want or allow women. To, to take jobs and to be educated as they should be. Mm-hmm. Not, I mean, not all, of course, but I mean in some places. Right. And, and it's a real tragedy. You look at things that happen in Afghanistan, where where men's groups would attack girls going to school. You know, this kind of thing. I mean, it's mm-hmm. awful. You have to. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, why wouldn't they want to utilize fifty percent of their population, the talents? So, in any event, I know it's a different, a whole different philosophy, but. No, I, I love seeing smart women, and I like to write about smart women, and I like to associate with them. It's great, you know. And we can, and they can inspire others, which they do. Women are very good about that.
0: Wonderful. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. When
0: you look back you in it. your life, personally, how have you transitioned basically over the years, and with all the opportunities that were presented to you? Were there times when you felt like I should have done this or I shouldn't have done that? Or oh, sure. overall, like Oh my good. goodness!
2: Oh yeah! No, no no no! I mean, we all learn mm-hmm. over the years. I've made mistakes. Uh, I uh, maybe had a chance to do something and I didn't pick it up, as you say. I I remember years ago when I was working in the television business, thinking, Oh gee, wouldn't it be great to be the first? Woman TV news anchor on a network show, because then you mm-hmm. didn't have, didn't have very many, and I was just you know a local newscaster. But you know I thought about it, but then later I do remember um, opportunities that I didn't or mm-hmm. couldn't take at the time when I was working in San Francisco. I remember getting a call from the program director at a at the Chicago station at a station there who offered me a job to come back to Chicago and be a TV news anchor. And I thought about it. It would be, you know, big city and all that. Um, But I couldn't do it at the time. I had young children uh, in school there. It just wasn't the time. I didn't want to to move for various reasons. Mm -hmm. I turned it down. And later, that particular program director called one time later, just in, in a friendly call, and said, well, you wouldn't come. So I found another girl uh, over to Station in Indianapolis. I hired her. Uh, her name is Jane Polly. We see it. We'll see how uh. she works out. So, <laughs> she, of course, moved on to become a right. network news anchor. So, sort of missed right. that opportunity. Now we all we all go through life, and and <laughs> and I made mistakes along the way. Many mistakes, of course, but hopefully we learn from them, and yeah. uh, better uh, better later. Life's lessons.
0: Right. But Always. then again, had you done that, you may not have been an award winning international mystery writer though. So Well, you, well no. <laughs> had I done that,
2: I might not have gotten to know President Reagan. That's the whole thing. Go. I stayed in San Francisco go. and yeah. I yeah. you know, got to know him and that finally led to the White House and life changing yeah. experience and all of Precisely. that. So yeah. so the way it worked out and I and I had my children, they, they Got a good education, and I was thrilled, and they're wonderful kids, and I'm very proud of them. That That's the best part of life.
0: So true. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. What is next for you?
2: Well, uh, in terms of writing, um, I have outlined the next story. And we'll see uh, if book sales go well for Trust but Verify. Maybe my publisher will give me a, the next contract. You know, that they always look at book sales. As I said initially, it's a business, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if I do get a contract for the next one, um, I'm looking for a title. Maybe you and some of your listeners give me an idea. <laughs> but the next one, we'll have, con- uh, we'll have uh, the White House. Mm-hmm. Um, Involved in a plot, and I like to have, as I said, different countries involved in each book, mm. d- different settings. Right. And the setting that I'm, that I'm using in the next one, the sixth book, um, is a place where I, I've been and I was sent um, to give speeches and whatnot, uh, down in Brazil. So the mm-hmm. setting is in is in Rio and Brasilia, which is pretty exotic, you know.
1: It's, right. And
2: and there's so much going on down there. My God, they just had an election there. Right. But but the uh, the villains in that one are some um, Brazilian uh, drug lords, and mm-hmm. they are there. Yeah. And as I mentioned earlier, there was a huge article in the Wall Street Journal about a lot of the things that are going on down there. I clipped it just yesterday, added it to the file. Mm-hmm. I've already mm-hmm. done the outline. I know what it's going to be, and. Um, looking for a title, but, uh, but that's <laughs> going to be the next story about the White House and uh, how we deal with some of these uh, drug issues. I feel strongly about that. Here again, making a point, but entertaining along the way, hopefully.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Please share with us your website again so that people can go and get some latest information about you.
2: Oh, well, aren't you nice? Sure. It's just just go to my name. It, it I, I have an old Actually, it's an old-fashioned Swedish name was my mom's middle name and grandmother's. It's Karna, K-A-R-N-A. And then the last name, Bodman, like your bod, B-O-D-M-A-N, karnabodman.com. And if you go there, there there's a page. All the books are listed with the links to Amazon, to Kindle, to print, whatever anybody wants. And there, there's a page describing each book and what everybody said about them, uh, blurbs from other authors and so forth. And then there's a a page that says Contact Events. And on the Contact page, of course, you can send me an email and take a look at the schedule. All of my speeches are there. I've got another dozen events coming up on book tours. Um, I've done over 300, I think, 350 maybe, I don't know, events around the country on different book tours. And it's all there on the website. And I mentioned earlier also if someone picks up a book, and wants to go as a gift to somebody, hey, shoot me an email, and I will mail you a an autographed book plate. You can stick inside, and you've got a nice autographed book for someone for Christmas.
0: Fantastic. Since our show is about people, family, and living life, would you like to share a recipe for living with our listeners this morning?
2: Oh, my.
0: <laughs> recipe <laughs>
2: for living. Um, well, first of all, treasure each day. Treasure each day that you have. Uh, I believe it's very, very important. Um, But also, while you do that, uh, you plan. You you, you plan. I I, I, I plan pretty carefully for Mm -hmm. visits and spend as much time with family as you possibly can because... Um, I don't know anybody who ever had on their tombstone, uh, you know, I wish I'd spent more time on my job, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Right, right. I wish I'd spent more time on my family if you're lucky enough to have a family. And if you don't, if you happen to be alone over the holidays, there's so many opportunities to volunteer and so many organizations where you can share your own experiences and your knowledge uh, with those who are less fortunate. And that's, I think, what we all should be trying to do, especially now. Christmas time.
0: Fantastic. Connor, thank you for the great recipe for living and for spending this hour with me on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me in three weeks, Tuesday morning, January 8th. My guest will be Amy Newmark, the publisher and editor-in-chief for Chicken Soup for the Soul. Amy and I will be having a conversation about the latest release to kick off the new year, Chicken Soup for the Soul, Messages from Heaven, and Other Miracles. 101 stories of angels, answered prayers, and love that doesn't die. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to fmmktalkradio.com. Thank you for listening, and have a blessed week. Connor, it has been a true pleasure. Thank you again, and have a very blessed and joyous holiday season.
2: The very same to you, Johnny. So
0: good to be with you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Bye-bye.
2: This holiday? Join Target Red and earn 1% today and treat yourself later for being the best gift giver ever. Just sign up in store with your phone number or click the banner. Some restrictions apply. 1% is not earned on purchases made with a red card.
0: Quick Trip is introducing new, bigger biscuits starting at 99 cents through the QT app. They're so big and delicious, hunger doesn't stand a chance. In fact, hunger has better odds of winning the lottery while catching a leprechaun and getting struck by lightning. So if you're hungry, Take hunger's chances down to zero with QT's new, bigger, flakier, biscuitier biscuits. Soft, buttery goodness starting at just 99 cents when you order through the QT app. QT, more than a gas station.